are the most amazing person. You are busier than anybody I know. I see you on social media all the time, and that's just the things that you share with us. So um, as well as supporting your husband, as well as having two kids. So welcome and just tell us a little bit about what you're currently involved with. Oh, there is a lot that I'm currently involved uh, with, Lily. Um, first and foremost, uh, obviously, uh, a wife to my amazing husband, David, and a mother to our children. That's my first job. I uh, have changed career. Brother um, Paul Rose started um, back in 1959. Wow. Um, after my grandfather had come out of Auschwitz and they came to Australia and they started this business. And when my father chose to uh, retire, it was a question for me, uh, what do I want to see happen to that business? And and really uh, through discussions with my, my parents and my brother Corey um, and myself, I really didn't want to see anything happen to that business. You really had that sense of family tradition. Yeah, definitely. Do you know how your grandfather got into that business particularly? I think he was pretty handy um, with his hands. I know that their first home was in Cromwell Road, South Yarra. And I think he used to go to the auctions and buy old furniture from the auctions and take them home to the basement in Cromwell Road, South Yarra and used to fix up uh, the furniture and then sell them from there. And I think that's the business grew from there into into what it is today. So it's really, really exciting to see. Um, it's evolved. The business is, has evolved from a lot of secondhand furniture to new furniture and so on. But it's exciting to see where my brother and I can take it in the future. And you've just moved locations or something as well. Yeah. Where, where are you? Where if people, if people need office furniture <laughs> or a comfortable chair, where do they go? Well, yes, it was in uh, Spencer Street, West Melbourne for 41 years or so, which is a long time. But we've recently moved to uh, 211 Ingalls Street, Port Melbourne, a new showroom. So come down and see us. Website? Website is www.roseoffice.com.au. And working with your brother, what challenges does that present? (laughs) (laughs) Look, my brother and I have a very good relationship. Uh, He actually has a full-time job elsewhere. So he works. He does. He's not day to day in in the business. Um, So I'm there, but he he manages finances uh, remotely. Look, um, you know, we've got different strengths and that's why I think we complement each other. He's very much about the finances and the details and so on. And I'm more about the marketing. So that what's going to make it work is we have different strengths. He respects me and I respect him. And how challenging is your dad who's retired's ongoing involvement? (laughs) That is a very funny question. Yes, look, dad's been really, really good about it. See, what ended up happening was because we had to move from West Melbourne to Port Melbourne, my parents were actually away for that move. So my brother and I and the staff had to make that happen. And that was a huge undertaking, I have to tell you. Your dad's very smart, isn't he? Yeah, he did. So they left and um, and were not there for the move, but that really pushed my brother and I into the business. And um, and look, he does drop in uh, most days to the business, and he does call in to check up on things. But I think overall, he's just really uh, positive about um, my brother and I taking it over. And I'm sure he he knows that his father and his uncle would be very proud. And, and it is just such a wonderful thing. But that whole concept of actually retiring from a business and allowing the next generation or even selling the business to happen, did you see him going through 
um, things, emotions with all of that happening or he he learnt to let go? Look, I'm sure he did go through a lot of things emotionally. I mean, you know, my father has worked hard and my mother in the business my whole life and, uh, and I thank him for everything and the upbringing that I was given thanks to his hard work. And I'm sure, uh, you know, coming up, you know, that he was going to retire was a challenge for him. But in no way was I going to uh, not have him involved with the business. I think his input is crucial. You know, he's been there for so long and he has so much to offer. But also, you know, it's time to to do other things. It's time to not be stuck in there, you know, 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. You know, get out there, travel and do other things. And your dad's a really interesting guy. Um, I met him and we sort of made the connections in hospital, so we had lots of time. (laughs) And I obviously, because of the show and other things, I'm a lot more interested in meaningful conversations rather than just superficial ones. And we actually spent a really interesting three, three and a half hours um, getting to know each other in, in that hospital situation. And so I found him really fascinating. What do you feel you are some of the strengths that you got from your dad as you were growing up? Look, I think uh, from my dad, I got you know, hard work, you know, work hard um, for what you for what you get, you know, you, you, you're not given anything on a platter. So work hard. And I find with my dad, he's always been, you know, a great talker. Um, and he enjoys, you know, getting to know people and compassionate. And I hope some of those traits have have certainly rub off, rubbed off on me. And your mum, I didn't I haven't gotten to know your mum very well what were some of her traits that you feel rubbed off on you yeah my mum always uh, wanted me to strive for more Um, I remember when I uh, finished year 12 and we were talking about what I was going to do and she said you know let's look at speech therapy and that's something I was very interested in and I thought you know what maybe I won't get the grades maybe it won't be good enough and she said you know go for it you know absolutely you're good enough and and so you know always striving for more um, and and better is something that I got for my mum and also hard work she's never been the the sit-at-home mum she's always been a hard worker as well and always been a supportive wife um, to my dad so yeah I, I think that's what I've learned from her. And do you think that with your own kids, you've tried to, uh, that you found yourself sounding like your mother or father? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I need to stop and pinch myself because, I, you know, things that I, I would have said I would never say you know, to my own kids that my parents used to say, now I'm finding myself saying them. So, uh, look, it must have, it must be a good thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it definitely is because you have amazing children who are very um, focused and committed and have taken on challenges outside the Jewish community, which is um, which is really wonderful. I mean, you've sent them to Timbertop, which has a, a really austere, very different um, program for mm. kids at quite a young age. What At what age or grade level is that? Year? So they were at Scopus all the way from lower kinder until the end of year eight. Uh, and then we thought, 
it might be a good idea to um, offer them another challenge. So Timber Top is the Geelong Grammar Year 9 program where the kids go out and live uh, near Mansfield, so near Mount Buller. Um, they go out there with uh, no technology, so no phones, no computers. Uh, they run, they hike, they camp. They've got all these different kinds of challenges. They've got schoolwork as well. And there's no communication with your families, your parents, other than letters. And grandparents as well, which is huge. Yes. Now, my mother was not too happy about the change at the beginning. Where are you sending my grandchildren? But uh, if you ask her now, she's uh, she really sees the benefit of what we did. And how would you uh, describe your children going through that, coming out? Your son is doing VCE this year, and so he spent the time there because they and they stayed longer than that one year. What did you see in a sort of personal growth the way they look at the world type thing within them yeah so um we always thought that it was going to be a one-year proposition we thought that they would go to timber top and then they'd go back um to mount scopus afterwards and mount scopus is a fabulous school and uh you know any child is lucky to go to that school for my kids um through that year they just bonded with the uh the children that were in their units with them and they just blossomed there academically, physically, mentally. They just blossomed. And by third term, they came to us. Well, first my son went um, two years before my daughter, but came to us and wanted to stay. And it was a real... Uh, you know, it, it was something for David and I to think about. It certainly wasn't on the plans, but we were guided by them. You send them to a school like that to think for themselves and to stand up and, and you know, for what they want. And they had good reasons for wanting to stay. And so we gave them that opportunity. And you're right, my son, um, he's actually doing the IB, um, which uh, is a fabulous program. It's the International Baccalaureate, and he's about to finish that, which will give him all sorts of different opportunities. So they're really open minded, confident, um, well-rounded children um, who David and I are very proud of. (laughs) You can see that in every aspect and so you should be. But also you need to give yourselves credit that you were open to having children like that rather than clingy children. And I don't say that in a negative way, but, you know, being brought up after the Holocaust and, you know, the children being more dependent and more is is a thing that is, it's not better, it's not worse, but it is a challenge for parents and you've obviously taken it on really, really well. Now, going into the family business, what you were event planning before this, I mean, I couldn't imagine a harder, more stressful job than event planning. You're, going, you're in all the details mm. of every single single thing for a function. Talk about the insanity that brought you into that. <laughs> well, the insanity was actually David <laughs> that brought me ah. into that. Because as, as I mentioned, I was a speech pathologist uh, before yes. I was in events. And David had the events business before ah. me. And uh, as David got more and more involved with politics and I had um, the children and the children were, were young, um, he asked me to help him out in the business. And ultimately, I took it over and uh, grew the business where we were doing a lot of weddings and bar mitzvahs and, you know, corporate events and so on. But you're right, it's a really difficult job and I have had some amazing people work with me and help me, so I wasn't doing it alone. Um, But it's a full time, you know, during the week job. 
It's and more than it's 24-7. Yeah, because it certainly is. You're not only dealing with the details of the events, you're, detail- you're also dealing with the mishugas of people. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a, it is a full-time, you know, full-time or 24-hour-a-day job and during the week and on the weekends as well. So you're planning the events all week and then you're setting them up on the weekends and then you're running them. So it really took a lot of time away from the family. But I have to say, um, after so many years being in that business, I got to be part of so many in our community and that is a true gift but when you start doing the weddings of the children's bar mitzvahs that you, you've done uh, it's time to move on <laughs> so it was certainly time for me. Um, Hayley you would have had to learn and integrate a lot about human behaviour and the way people think dealing with especially our Jewish community who are so special, especially around times of weddings and bar mitzvahs, which are for them stressful, and personalities really come out. What are some of the things that you feel that you take away from having to deal with people, so many different types of people and keeping them happy? Well, that's, uh, you know, it was always um, a challenge, but, you know, what a gift somebody is giving you, getting you involved with their most important simchas in life, you know? So I always saw it as a, a big privilege, first and foremost, and it is very stressful. For them, you know, wanting to, they get one go at it, you know, hopefully, and you know, they want it, they want the best outcome. So, what we tried to instill in them was, you know, that we would take care of it. So, we would ease their stress. We were the ones who were organising it, so they didn't need to be stressed. You know, that we would have it all handled, and we did, and we built up that reputation so that people could relax and uh, and enjoy the most important, you know. Simcha of their lives, and what a wonderful way! What a wonderful way to really describe what Lily High on Life is all about. It's your attitude to things. You don't need anybody to change one iota for you to be happy. That's right. So by looking at the looking at the events the way you chose to look at them. It doesn't give you, you don't need to get upset, you don't need to get stressed. You understand where the other people are coming. Hayley Southwick is our guest and her one of her favourite songs. Love the song. Hayley, you do so much for so many other people and your attitude is other people first, as you just described. Tell me, and I love that this is your favourite song about doing it your way, Talk a little bit about why <laughs> that's Yeah, no, look, I just, I always, as a as a young girl, I always like listening to older music um, and my father always listened to older music. But that song meant a lot, lot to me because although I always um, think of others or try, I try to think of others first, I think it's important to, you know, to do things my way and how I want to do them and to be able to stand up and have a voice and not be told what to do by anybody. And I resonate with that very strongly because you can still be kind, you can still be loving, you can be supportive and everything else, but still remember that you are the person that is most important because when you're happy, 
everybody is happy. Correct. So, Haley, we haven't even spoken about UIA, which has been such a huge part of your life. You've taken on enormous leadership roles um, and stepped up over 10 years. How did you first get involved with UIA? Well, that happened 12 years ago, actually. I was at a, a breakfast for women's division and they had uh, the speaker, there's an American lady who was com- collecting paperclips uh, to teach her, her students um, at her school in, in America about the, you know, about the Holocaust. I remember that. Fabulous. Yeah. So I was at that breakfast and I was truly inspired not only by her story and what she was doing, um, but also by the work of the UAA and hearing about the projects that UAA was supporting. So um, I was tapped on the shoulder at the time and asked to get involved with Women's Division, which I did, and uh, soon became the... Uh, the chair of uh, women's division, which I was in that role for 10 years. Haley, 12 years ago when that happened, your kids were little. You had a husband that was very actively involved with community. Um, did you have any idea how much time and emotion that would all um, have on you? Uh, no, <laughs> that's the honest truth. I didn't realise how much time it was going to take, but I was passionate um, for the cause. And when you're passionate about something, and Israel is my passion, and and when and when you have that passion, you make the time. You know, we're all busy people, but we all make the time. And so I figured, with the support of my husband and with my amazing children, uh, like with everything in our lives, we do it together and I had the support of them so I said good let's give it a go and it really is a choice it's a choice when you say I can't it's you don't want to enough and so um, and I was going to also ask you about you know our people can be difficult and especially when they're volunteering Um, what was it about taking on the role and holding it for that many years how do you uh, deal with the different personalities and things of people who are volunteering their time? Look, uh, the Women's Division does such an amazing job, you know, raising <coughs> funds for amazing projects in Israel and giving women the ability to donate in their own right through the Women's Division. And yes, we were dealing with lots of volunteers, but we have to remember that they're volunteering their time and you know, we have to appreciate that and be grateful for that and look at it. It's exactly like you say, you got to look at it positively. And, you know, yes, some are more difficult than others and so on. But at the end of the day, they're giving up their time, as you do all here at Jair. Um, and we're very grateful for that. Yeah. And so not only did you chair uh, the women's division, but you then went on and now you are... <coughs> Yeah, sorry. You've okay. taken over the whole kitten caboodle. Yeah, so two years ago, um, I was asked to take <laughs> on the role as, as president of UAA Victoria. So that's been, uh, that's been a huge challenge, but what an honour. That's all I can say. It's a huge honour. Yes, and to step up like that, they obviously saw the qualities that you had, not only in leadership, but people skills and everything else, which is so, so important. Now, one of the other really big reasons that I wanted to have you on Lily High on Life is 
Your relationship with people which you've described is phenomenal, but also your relationship with your husband is just beautiful. When you are together and you're in each other's company, you can see that it's a love that's really grown and obviously a lot of it's got to do with your attitude. Are there things that you've had to work through with that? Just describe a little bit about not just your relationship, but how it's grown over the years. Look, um, I still get butterflies in my stomach when David walks in the room. And Aww. that's and that's that's the honest truth. You know, we it was a love story from the very beginning and we have built a marriage where we are an absolute team. Uh, he supports me with everything that I do and I support him with everything he does. And we're both very busy people and we've got a busy life, but we've made the commitment to share and be a team. And he can go off and do his thing and I can go off and do my thing. Um, but I know he's 100% behind me and I'm 100% behind him. And we'll always, you know, call each other, send each other a text um, and have a, a regular date night as often as possible. That's harder these days. Um, but just making the effort to, to spend time together and, um, you know, and just be just us. So... With all of that, are there moments where something just pisses one of you off? Oh, yeah. And you get... And how do you deal with that with the, within the context you've described? Look, absolutely. And look, that's not to say we don't disagree because that wouldn't be normal. We absolutely disagree. And that's something we, we've worked on um, along the many years. And we've been married now for nearly 21 years. So, um, you know, if, if we disagree, it's about how we interact when we disagree. Right. And so we, what would have in our early marriage would have been a lot more, uh, would be tougher and more... Uh, you know, aggressive, I suppose, because we all wanted to do it my way. Um, but, you know, now yeah. it's a conversation and, we, you know, it, it's very different these days and we work through it. Yeah, there's a real respect there. And when there's a respect, you argue differently. It's like people are so much kinder and polite to people they don't know because they respect them a lot more. But the person that you've slept next to and washed their dirty underwear and socks for 20 years, it, it can break down. And so it's just lovely to see that you're still not only married but enjoy each other's company and want to be married. Absolutely. Is that something you've seen, you also saw at home with your parents, the way your mother was with your father? Yeah, absolutely. Look, my my uh, my parents have had a, a wonderful uh, marriage, and they can you know they're together. I've seen many marriages split um, over the years. It's not a perfect marriage; nobody's is. But you know, you work at it, and you know, as long as you work at it and make the time for each other, it works. And it's the communication hmm. thing as well. And also, you know, when you met David, you were nineteen, and he was a DJ. Mm. And he's gone from a DJ into a businessman and not just with the events, but he ran his own very successful business. And then he transitioned into the politician's role. Each of those changes in life can be stressful. And you worked through those. Could you talk a little bit about how how you got through those transition stages. For sure. For you personally. Well, look, um, 
each of those, as as you said, uh, when I met David, he was running a cosmetic company um, at the time, but he was also DJing, um, and he then sold his business, and then he was in the events business, and so on. So he had a number of transitions, um, but each time he sat down with me. And we discussed it. It was like when he was going to enter politics, it wasn't he's just going to do it. He sat down with me and he said, are we going to do this, you know, as a team? And so we were able to get through all those transitions because we'd both agreed um, and we'd both agreed what was best for our children and what was the best direction. And it worked. So he's had lots of changes, but he's certainly happy where he is now. And were any of them surprising to you or you just took it on board and it was a natural next step? Look, I think all of it was pretty, yeah, I thought that was, they were all pretty, uh, pretty standard. When politics came up, it was something that I knew David always wanted to do. He, as you know, um, his father was, uh, was, part of local um, government politics. Um, it was in David's blood, but he never got the opportunity to to, to do it um, because he was busy with his businesses. And when the opportunity came up, it was like, grab it, because, you know, this is what you want to do. So I think, no, I don't think any of it surprised me, but I love the fact that he has the guts, you know, um, to go and get what he wants. And yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And You know, people use age as an excuse, but somebody reminded me recently that um, Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old when God called upon him to come lead the Jewish people, which he'd never done before. Got to remind my dad of that. (laughs) So just, I just thought it was such a great story. And I recently saw um, the Gotek story at the film festival where God bless her, the woman that started Gotex, lost everything and at the age of 90 decided to bring back. So David, you and David have a lot ahead of you. There is never a time when you can't do something. You know, if you want to do it, and you want to put your mind to it, give it a go. That's the very least you should do. And and the bottom line is if it's something that's going to make you happy, just it's it's best to go for it rather than think about it. Well, you don't want to get to the end of your life and say, what if? Exactly. You know, what if? You know, just do it. Now, you, was, you also said that one of the best childhood memories you remember was when your parents surprised you and took you and your brother to Disneyland. Tell me about that. Did they pull you out of school? Was it like the day before? What a great memory. So it is my favourite childhood memory. Uh, we did. We were on a family trip and my parents said to us at the very beginning of the trip that if we behave throughout the trip that we will get a surprise gift at the end. <laughs> at the end of the trip, my, my parents said, look, you haven't been well behaved enough, so you're not getting your gift. And my brother and I were awfully disappointed. Um, I can't imagine this- <laughs> you not being good Yes, yeah, so a we're child. like, what did we do? Couldn't, couldn't quite work it out. But we were flying back uh, from where we were through um, Los Angeles. And when we got there, you know, my father said, you know, just stay here. You know, I'm going to sort out where the flight's late or we've missed the flight. And yet this whole story began. And to cut a very long story, sure the whole surprise was that we were going to be spending two or three days in Disneyland (laughs) and we were 
gobsmacked. Like we, it was just like, it was absolute heaven. And David and I played the same surprise on our children. That was my next question. How perfect. How old were they? So it was, uh, our son Tyler did a mini bar mitzvah um, on Masada in, in Israel when he was oh, 13 years old. Fabulous. And they thought, the kids thought that after Israel, um, that we were going to be going home. Um, but we did a little bit of a detour and ended up going to Disneyland, Disneyland and they were, you know, so surprised. And I have fabulous videos and I was only watching them this morning. They just bring a tear to my eye. And I just, you know, when you have such a wonderful experience as a child, and I thank my parents so much for that memory, it was just something that I said to David, come on, let's do it for our kids. And did you do the mean part as well? No, <laughs> we didn't do that. <laughs> Good. Bit. I'm glad you. Le- I'm glad. To- glad you learned a little bit. Um, and then your grandparents also played a very big part in your life growing up. Talk to me a little bit about. Is it, were you closer to your dad's or your mum's parents, or did you have both for a yeah, while? So um, that's a very lucky thing to have. I had three grandparents. My father's father passed away before I was born, so I, I was close to, um, I was close to my mother's parents, Paul and Eva Sabadosh. They were very close to me. They used to pick me up from school every day. They lived very close to Gandalbeeson. Um, and I just remember my grandfather buying me special chocolates and taping the shows that I liked so I could watch them after school. He was a very, very special man. Um, and, uh, and my dad's mum, Magda, who I got even closer to as I got older, she was very special to me. Now we're talking about Holocaust survivors. Um, two of, them were in Auschwitz. Uh, my grand, my mother's father was in a Siberian labour camp. The trauma that they went through and to come here to Australia and to make something of their lives and to build a family, I was just in awe of them, absolute awe of them. And it's because of them I do the Holocaust Centre work, volunteering, because I just, it's just what amazing people they were. And I was so lucky to have them in my lives, in my life. And how have you shared that with your children, your grand, your your, their great grandparents. How long did they have them for, and what was that relationship that you fostered? So, uh, my mother's mother uh, passed away um, when I was a teenager. My mother's father passed away when I was in year 12, just before my year 12 exams. But my father's mother was um, was around um, longer and I really made an effort to make sure that my children had a close relationship with her and we would go to Shabbat at the nursing home um, at Munza every Friday and they would go to all the fest- the Jewish festivals at Munza and dance with her and push her wheelchair around and be close with her and they, they had a really strong bond with her. Lovely, as it as it really, really should be. And Haley, we were very fortunate to have your husband David Southwick on the program, and he had the same favourite song, September. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your connection to Look, it. The connection to that song is very simple. It uh, it talks about the twenty first night of September, and that's when our son. Tyler was born. He was born on the 21st of September 2001. So whenever we hear that song, we uh, we dance and sing and Tyler sang uh, that song at his bar mitzvah. Absolutely love it. So 
One of the other things I'd like to ask you about is that one of the things that is so important in our lives are our relationships with other people. Talk a little bit about your friendships. Do you have friends still from primary school, secondary school? You went to Scopus all the way through. Are they your closest friends? Look, I have got friends from back at school, um, but the people that I see on a day-to-day basis now are, are friends of David and I. So I have those friends that, you know, that I see by myself and catch up for a coffee um, and so on. But the friends that we've got now are friends through our interests, I think. It, it's evolved over the years so we now have friends that uh, that we know through UIA through our work through um, politics through the Liberal Party lots of different types of friends and there are different connections as you're saying with you don't have to mention the name if you don't want to but who's your oldest friend and is that the same as your closest friend Um, look I don't my oldest friends are actually boys um, from school, you know, people that I still have a very close relationship with today and have, you know, they one of them lives in Sydney and, you know, travelled for his simchas and, and so on. But my closest friends, they're people who understand me now, understand my interests and are supportive of what I'm doing. And likewise, I'm supportive of of what they're doing. And no matter how busy our lives, theirs and my life get, you know, they're there. It's called low maintenance friendships. And that's what I need. (laughs) Understand. And your oldest friend that you have, what is it that's kept you connected as friends for that time? Look, it's just, you know, when you when you share such a long friendship and, you know, it's history and you just got to make the effort. You may live in different states and... And you may not see them that often. No, but it's it, that's okay. You know, that's okay. You can catch up every now and again and it's like it was, you know, back then. Yeah, absolutely. They're the best types of friendships. And was there a stage, because you said that David is also your best friend uh, and obviously the person that is that is the one that you can talk to anybody or anything about, was there a stage where that took over from other friendships when you realised, I have what I need at home and so you stopped perhaps sharing as much with girlfriends look i think that that you know there is an element of that david and i are best friends so we speak about everything the good things the bad things the stressful things and you know yes we are very busy and it means that you know we get kind of what we need you know from the two of us but you know it's important to have your friendships outside it's important to have my own friends he has his own friends and we have our friends it's important that we're our own people as well and so we maintain our friendships and what is it about the people that you'll think oh gosh we haven't seen them for a really long time i really want to see them what is it about those people that connects you i think uh you know like-minded people, um, like-minded, you know, people that, uh, you know, are supportive of what we're doing and come to us with a loving and open heart and we come to them with the same, you know. And the low maintenance as you get older is really, really important. Just because we don't see our friends doesn't mean we don't love Love them. them. I understand completely that I have that connection with people around the world now as well as I'm sure you do. Um, So... 
what I um what I would what I was sort of getting there with the friendship also is that connect connectivity to people that you do need other people outside your um husband wife little bubble which is wonderful um what is it about those because you've got friends from wheat so you've got friends from politics you've got friends from school you've got friends from kids school they're all different areas you've got friends from uia definitely and there are obviously things about all of those people that are so important um what do you feel that you need within you that makes you happy when you're around those people? Because um, thinking alike is, of course, and you've got things in common, but friendships also feed you, and they feed you in a spiritual and emotional way so that when you come home from an hour or three-hour coffee with the girls or lunch or whatever – what it, what do you get from those connections? Yeah, look, it's really important to connect with other people. Um, you know, I just love talking. I love hearing their stories, their lives, what they're doing, um, and just yeah, enjoying what they're going through, and then sharing with them what you know what I'm going through, what we're going through, and you know, just discussing anything that I may want advice on or so on, and and I just get that that support. And that love from them that, you know, it, it, I think it's really important. So what do you do during your me time when you're to get away on your own? What's your best or favourite way to be on your own? And when was the last time you did that? And what did you do? So I did it this morning. <laughs> oh, good on you. Yeah, so I exercise every day. So I exercise, I'll go for a run, I'll put my earphones, I don't tend to exercise or walk or run with anyone else, I do it alone. Um, David's been wanting me to, to exercise with him, but it's my time, it's my time to decompress, it's my time to think, um, and so I put my, my favourite music on in my earphones and I just, I run or uh, I'll go to the gym and that's that's what wow. I do and enjoy. That's so interesting because... I never think of exercise for anything positive. And I insist there's no Yiddish word for exercise. It's not a Jewish thing. But I do understand what you're saying. And it is something that you obviously do on a daily basis to bring you together and bring you in. And and, and that's a really wonderful thing to I do. I do that and then my day starts. Yeah. So um, <laughs> with uh, with that and with everything, do do you plan alone time with David and the family in the same way as you plan your meetings? Uh, yes. So I'll ask David, you know, what he's got on, um, whether he's going to be home, and then I'll work out a schedule. Uh, for instance, this weekend uh, we're very, very busy, so I've organised that we're going to go out and have dinner with our daughter on Saturday night, and that's just time for us and our family. So, and we have to do that. Just the three of you. The three, actually, Tyler will and my son will come as well. Oh. So the four of us are going to go to a movie and a family dinner. We have to make the time. 
Even if it doesn't look like the time's there, we've got to find it. Fabulous. And um, your trips to Israel with UAA, we've only got a minute or so left, so I want to get in a, a little UAA plug as well. So UAA is celebrating its centenary next year. There's going to be huge events uh, next year celebrating 100 years. What a huge achievement. Um, I'll be heading off to Israel on a mission uh, in April, May next year. Um, our AGM is next week, Wednesday night. Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. Night. Next Wednesday night, yeah. where is it? It's at the um, the pavilion at Caulfield Park. If you do want to come, contact the UAA office. Uh, we've got some fabulous speakers. It's a big year, big events, and we encourage the whole community to come and join us. And kola kavod to you, and uh, may you have at least 10 years as um, as total head of Australia as well. <laughs> Lily, thanks for having me. And thanks for everything you do. And oh my gosh, another 10 years. <laughs> Thank you. Hayley, you've been an absolute pleasure and delight. Thank you so much.